Hey folks, Brian here. I'm not on the show this week because I'm dead, but we uh, have a quick interview to start with here. Uh, once again, I got to talk to Scott Snyder, this time joined by his co-writer Aaron Gillespie, to talk about new challengers. So enjoy this, enjoy the show, and avenge my death. Bye. Uh, so anyway, let's let's start with the big question here, okay? With all these New Age of Heroes properties, for the most part, it's it's new characters or it's characters that have kind of been you know, like damage as a character that was kind of on the periphery in the nineties, you know, only folks like me who have every zero hour tie in remember damage. But new, <laughs> but challenges the unknown, like that that that's a big deal. So what kind of pressure do you guys feel bringing a new generation of challengers to the forefront? Well, do you want me to take it, Aaron, or you? Yeah, you can take it. I'll roll off of I, it if I need to. I feel a huge pressure with it, but um, what I'd say is. Uh, you know, metal begins with the challengers of the unknown. And so the spirit of that book was very much wrapped up in Kirby and what um, what challengers has always been about, which is sort of pushing past the limits of what we thought we were capable of exploring or reaching. So challengers was almost like my spirit animal on, <laughs> on um, metal. You know, it's why the mountain was one of the first, like the inciting incident at returning. So in a lot of ways, as intimidating as it is, because Challengers to me represent sort of the height of comic book lunacy and daring and imagination, um, it also is really inspiring and exciting to be able to do a series um, under that banner. So we wanted to make something here that kind of completely honored the past, didn't revamp it and do something that sort of veered left or made it sort of a completely modern take that you know negated what had happened before. But instead said, what what that series, that original series was about is extremely important for this moment, you know, the zeitgeist right now. The need to be brave and explore to solve problems that seem unfixable, the need to go past the limits of what you thought you were um, able to reach, uh, you know, feels very, very poignant and resonant right now. So we wanted to do something that kind of had the old characters in it, so this series does bring back uh, the original challengers as well, but we wanted to be able to create characters right now that new readers could come in and follow and say, "These are this is my generation of challengers. Why were they picked? Who are they? What's the importance of each one? Um, and then have that be a gateway, you know, to all of the kind of wonderful mythology of the challengers past while opening it up to humongous new story. And it's, you know, very tied to what we're doing in No Justice and tied to Justice League and all that kind of stuff. So, you know the the fun of it was the short answer is it was really scary because challengers has always been awesome <laughs> but it also felt very very right because challengers is is a book that speaks very much to the heart of a lot of what we're doing in DC right now post metal Aaron anything to add well no i i think that covers it i would say that i i i would agree that i felt tremendous pressure but i think the original challengers was and all of Jack Kirby's creations were about exploration and pushing forward and trying something new. And so I feel like the pressure is there, but I also feel like that is a property that is um, unique and that it does lend itself to this idea that new creative teams will take it and, and, and carry, you know, push the ball forward. And I think that it's important to honor that as well. That's what I would, yeah, can I just echo that for one second? Sure. That, that's the fun thing about things like that, that, that Jack taking on like Jack Kirby creations or taking on even like Swamp Thing or those things when you take them on. And part of the legacy of those things is that they demand that you go past what they did. 
it's a great feeling. You know, you take a character, you take a franchise, or you 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 take a property by a creator who, you know, by by his or her own nature was always sort of saying knock the wall down and go past what's possible. It demands that you do that. So as intimidating as it is, it's also really exciting because you're like, I can do any crazy ass thing I want on this thing as long as it honors the core concept. Because if I don't, people will actually be angry because that's what it's about. <laughs> right. So it, exactly. it opens up this tremendous freedom, you know. All right. Well, you know, folks aren't going to be aware of all these new players in the game. So uh, why don't each of you talk about sort of one character that's resonated with you as you've begun this process? Sure. I mean, I like everything that we've done with it. Trina, everybody. I mean, like for me, I think the reason that we started here with Trina was that it felt like she's somebody who's very, very much about being, uh, you know, a protector, a caregiver for her, her sort of comfort zone, her area. Yeah. And, and so for me, I love starting with characters that feel like, you know, they're, they're, they're used to their own surroundings and they're kind of a hero in their own neighborhood. Like Batman is in metal and then all of a sudden you open a door where they realize that their mission is so much bigger than what they thought that ultimately it's like, uh, you know, it's they're, they're a tiny thing in the kind of machinations of this huge plot. So I am very glad that Aaron started with her and then we decided to do it because I feel like she's a great gateway drug to everything that we're, <laughs> we're trying to do with this crazy series. Yeah, and I, I fell in love with a different character each issue. As I, you know, as we explored their their backstory, um, I one of my favorite things to do as well in in writing is to take a character and put them against their limitations right up next to them and see how they how they handle it, how they react, how they push through their limitations, or if they push through their limitations. And so I thought that was um, something that was really important to do with these characters since they're literally getting a second chance. That's really cool. Uh, when I read the first issue, I was struck by a couple of things, but I guess the first thing that I was struck by was just how, um, I, I feel like there, a lot of times in comics, there is this false sense of heroism that's put through everything. Like every person you meet is a hero of some kind, right? Yeah. The hero of the grocery store, the hero of whatever, but these characters seem to be legitimately good people in their communities and legitimately important people in their communities. And so I kind of want to talk about that for a second. How important for you was to make these characters not just, you know, your stereotypical boilerplate, um, you know, superhero, but to make them legitimately good people, true people. And why is that so important today in this comic? Well, do you want me to take it or you, Aaron? Whatever you want. Yeah, you can start. Well, I, I would just say one of the great things that I think Aaron pushed for with it that I saw and was like, you're completely right, is that Challenges of the Unknown is a, is about regular people stepping up, you know, to to sort of to to face these incredible sort of obstacles and then winding up saying, even if my life is tiny, even if I'm living on borrowed time now because of this, I'm still going to be brave. So it, I like you were saying, I think, you know, Brian, I think it's extremely important for the zeitgeist right now when we face challenges that are, you know, create sort of tremendously divisive climate that seem entrenched and impossible to solve, that seems systemic and humongous and overwhelming that we say we're each individually going to be brave and go into this together in a way where we're not relying on huge powered superheroes or, you know, larger than life characters or myths in that way, but that the heroes of this book are everyday people that belong to communities, have flawed pasts, all of that, that feel like you and me. 
So we wanted characters that felt very approachable, where it was a very deliberate act having the DCU, you know, be up in the sky, kind of very high above, you know, in that first issue in that way where you don't, you don't feel up there with the superheroes. You're down on the ground with regular people because Challenges of the Unknown is about people like you and me daring to, you know, go beyond the limits of what they think is possible out of bravery and out of a sense of, you know, hope that by doing so they can make the world better than it is right now. Yeah, I I would agree. I think that this is a very timely subject um, that we're tackling. You know, we, we all live in with a lot of uncertainty right now. And I think the important thing is to, uh, is to be there for our community and push forward. And I think that that's why it was so important to have characters that are deeply rooted to, to their community in a way that, like Scott said, the, the superheroes are there, but they are way up in the sky. You know, they, these characters might live in Gotham. They might live in Metropolis, but they're kind of out of the purview of these heroes and they have to just, push forth and face the unknown by themselves and look out for themselves and their community. Yeah. Not to put uh, too much of myself into my reading of this or, or this interview, but you know, I'm going through something right now. I have, I have a very sick parent and I've just been overwhelmed looking around all that my dad's going through and seeing all these little heroes pop up around his life unlikely heroes, the, the people who send my parents food, you know, just little things like that. And, and it's, it's been really inspiring through this really sad moment in my life. And I feel like when I read this comic, that's the feeling I took from it was just that not only was it a story about heroes and like Scott said, average people becoming heroes, but it was also an invitation to look around at the world around you and spot those heroes sort of in the world. And so I was really moved by it. So thank you guys for that. Um, thank you, dude. And that's yeah, very thanks, much like, great. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Aaron. No, I'm. thank you. I was just going to say, too, like, I mean, I think the book was created initially in that spirit, you know, too. Not our, I mean, the original book. And that that's very much a product of Kirby being, you know, somebody who's in World War II, that whole sense of average people, regular people, stepping up to these tremendous challenges, these things that are, you know, overwhelmingly terrifying, and then just showing up and being brave in those sense and, and being good to each other. You know, and I think even whether or not you're like in a moment of tremendous conflict like that, you know, that's material like World War Two or right now when you're facing things that feel like the world is, is, a, is a scary place in many ways that, you know, it, the book, I, I feel like the book, the reason that it felt good to bring it back now, but also the reason that it's so attractive, I think, to so many creators, because over the years at DC, every time I'm talking to like, you know, a young creator coming in through teaching or just in general sometimes when people are at marvel and i'm like what would you like to write if you came over (laughs) a challengers pops up a lot lately and i think that's the reason is that it finds heroism and bravery in everyday people and you know it it depicts people that are chosen for a mission that feels completely bigger than what what they thought their life was about but then it's about recognizing the fact that the heroism in everyday acts that they sort of um that they uh, do, you know, throughout their their just daily routine, are the precursor or have a kind of crazy comic book extension in these missions to go to Scartaris or go to the ends of the universe. It's not very different, you know what I mean? And that's that's what I think is wonderful about so much of Kirby's work. And, you know, you feel like you're getting escapism and you're not. You're getting lessons about how to live your life. 
So let's talk for a second about um, your artist on this book, you know, the amazing Andy Kubert. Um, Scott, I believe you've worked with Andy before, correct? I have, and we're good friends outside yeah. of comics, so yeah. it was a pleasure. I was saying before to Aaron that I had the pleasure of teaching Andy how to play craps very badly still <laughs> and we're we're quite close so it was very very uh very um uh excited and and grateful that he signed up to do it well, as a fellow new jersey native for like andy i am uh, <laughs> i always feel a sense of pride when i see a jersey boy do you know done good so uh what did what did andy particularly bring to this book you know what did you what was the page in the first issue that you saw and just thought oh thank god he's the artist on this book why don't you take it, Aaron? Because I've been talking. About I don't that. think there is one page. I think they are all like getting <laughs> it was probably getting the Andy's first page you sent in. <laughs> Whatever it was. Yeah, right? right, right. Yeah, getting Andy's pages in my inbox. I I cannot form words to talk about how important that is and how amazing of a feeling that is. And every page he turned in was just more jaw dropping than the last. And so I don't think there is a single a single page. I'll tell you my favorite page, sure, and it's pre, it. a pretty low key page, but it's from issue three. It's the very first page of issue three, and that's all I can say. But <laughs> that's my favorite page. Well, gentlemen, I love oh, when sorry. he ended in the last page, the last pages of this issue, because it gives the scope of what he's capable of after such intimate character work, too. Mm-hmm. That what I love about Andy, and I was saying this before to Aaron, is just that. He's capable of changing his style dramatically, you know, which is why he was so good on things like Whatever Happened to the Cape Crusader and how he changed it for, you know, the Master Race for Dark Knight 3, all that stuff. Like, he he adapts to fit the story while still keeping certain core qualities that are, make him immediately identifiable as Andy Kubert. So for this, he we had a long talk at the beginning, and he was like, I want it to be big and electric and bombastic and... Recall that really fun, over-the-top sort of you'll never get away with this lightning crash, you know, kind of Kirby-esque, like, high-drama storytelling. And um, I just think he, he, you know, hit that mark and then some with it. So he's great. And there's no nicer guy. Him and Jock have to be, like, the two nicest guys in comics. I, I want them to have, like, a battle where it's like who... <laughs> what can you do to make one of them do anything that isn't like so kind, <laughs> like so kind and nice? Like there has to be some pressure point you can hit to be like, you have to do something that makes you a tiny bit of an asshole in some way. Because I, I think nice you've been writing supervillains too long, Scott. I was gonna I know, say that's such an know, evil I'm thing my, to do. <laughs> <laughs> my nerve—it's like so much easier to hit a nerve with me and turn me to the Legion of Doom very quickly. Yeah. So I'm always like, I'm like, come on, there has to be a button. I actually know it for Jock is football, is soccer. He hates like total. Uh, you know, I'm so off the mark here. We don't have to talk about this. But the uh, he hates like the super macho. You know like offensive soccer culture, football culture. That's it. I found it, but I have not found it with Andy yet. Andy is, I know, even losing terribly at craps drunkenly, he's very kind. He's like, oh, you can have the money, house, you know. (laughs) Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. I truly appreciate it. And, Scott, I think we're on schedule to talk on Friday again because it's every four-day things. we we got to keep it up. uh, We should just keep it up even when there's no comics, Brian. Exactly. I'm (laughs) all for it. Uh, I'll just make up comics to talk about. I'm just going to be like, Red Sun 3. Just (laughs) writing it. It's amazing. (laughs) We're just going to talk about it. (laughs) 
Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the DC Precast. I am Zach, and I am joined by Vince and Brian. Are you there? Uh, he died. Oh, no, he did. On his way back to his home planet? Yeah. Oh, dang. Never to be heard from again until next week. <sighs> All right. Until next week. Okay. How are you doing, Vince? I'm I'm doing great, um, except for Brian dying. I think everything else <laughs> in my life is just going swimmingly well thank goodness this is comics and he will go the way of amanda waller and be back next week (laughs) imagine what if brian joined the suicide squad (laughs) that's twisted it might be a lot like if brian joined the new challengers but we'll talk about that later (laughs) um but but yeah um you know we're going to truck on by ourselves. We're going to talk about some books. We're going to talk about some news. We're uh, going to mess up a lot of stuff that Brian would 100% know. He's going to just be screaming at us when he's listening to this. It's going to be really good. Um, so, yeah, we actually somehow have a lot of news this week. So you want to just jump right in there? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, first up. Put on our on our sad faces. Young animal is going away. Mostly. Mostly, yeah, yeah. Uh, they they say that Doom Patrol is gonna come back, but that they want lead time to get caught up. Yeah. And I don't know. Do you think that that's really gonna happen? I don't know. Did you see? I th- I know I texted you guys about it, but did you see Jess's take? Yeah, that that my chem is getting back together, <laughs> and that's what's going on. I could totally buy that as the reason why Doom Patrol has been so delayed. That would yeah. make sense. Um, but I don't know. I I do. Okay, so I'll get back to whether or not I think Doom Patrol is coming back. Um, I am sad that the all the other books are ending with issue six, all of the other currently running books, which, you know, remember back to that solicit for Shade the Changing Girl that we all thought was a mistake, but now has been proven true. Yes, yep. We just thought, oh, no, that's not real. This book's going to go forever. <laughs> um, but, yeah. I mean, I'm sad. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sad too. Um, Young Animal was really special, obviously, and and we liked every put book they put out on some level. So it's sad to see them all go. I think, I hope it comes back again someday. They they kind of are saying that it will, but you know that that's, you know how comics are, right? Um, comics the the comics landscape is filled with broken promises. <laughs> Um, and books that we're still waiting for, right? Um, yeah. I wonder if they would keep Young Animal going. I wonder if they could get, like, Gerard Way's blessing to put it in somebody else's hands who he would, you know, sign off on or whatever so that they could keep this sort of thing going without him maybe having his hand in it as much. But then again, that, that kind of just defeats the purpose, I think. Yeah, I mean, 
I think best case scenario, maybe some of these concepts could get folded into Vertigo if Young Animal is just really kaput. Like, I would love to see Shade the Changing Girl keep going at Vertigo. Oh, that's a really good point, because aren't we supposed to be getting a Vertigo relaunch here pretty soon? Pretty soon, yeah, like in August-ish, Yeah, I think is where the... I mean, Sandman comes out and is kind of the the flagship for that, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I wonder if Vertigo can... Happen. Yeah, maybe that'll take, like, the spiritual place of Young Animal. Maybe. And, you know, I wonder how much of that has to... Maybe there's some politics going on with Vertigo coming back and not wanting to have too much overlap, or maybe it really is just Gerard Way is too busy... Who knows? But I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about Young Animal before I segue into something else? No. Okay. Well, in regards to Doom Patrol coming back and whether or not it will be this incarnation of the book, a big influence on that will probably be the newly announced Doom Patrol television show exclusive to the dc universe streaming service that is spinning out of the titan show that's also coming to <laughs> dc universe streaming service um already getting a spinoff haven't seen an episode yeah <laughs> what, do you, what do you think um i hope it's as weird as as you know doom patrol tends to be i hope it's allowed to be weird um, yeah, I I think it's going to be, oh, man, I don't know. I, I guess this and Titans, I really hope don't end up just being like CW. CW level shows. Yeah. I, the interesting thing about these is that they're getting like 13 episode orders, right? See, I didn't know that. That's oh. interesting. Okay. That's what I thought I've read. Okay. I know that that's true of Doom Patrol, but I'm not sure about Titans. Okay. But it, but the, my my theory is always that if if shows do like 13 episode seasons in general, like 10, 13, somewhere around there, it really tends to help from them feeling too padded out. And I feel like most seasons of the CW shows have been a little bit too padded out for me. 100 percent yeah yeah um the fl- you know really, the flash yeah. season the flash season one was the one where i was like there's 20 some episodes of this and yet i feel like a ton is happening all the time and it's not dragging on mm-hmm. but apart from that a lot of them felt like they had huge chunks of time being wasted you know yeah yeah well i mean that's a big part of the reason that i think i've stopped following a lot of those shows um and Maybe this is just like a sign of the times, but it's really hard to do 20 plus episodes of a good hour long serialized show. Yeah. Um, there's just really generally not enough story there to be told. Um, you look at like the Netflix Marvel shows and it's even hard to get 13 good episodes of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah that's true those are all padded out too oh yeah yeah they are so but that's that's promising and and you know maybe these who knows what kind of budgets these will have since they all seem to be kind of done 
in-house i get not necessarily i don't know you know what i mean like yeah. they're they're not constrained by a cw level budget or something like that um but i don't know maybe who knows maybe we'll get an announcement that Jar- gerard way is, is <laughs> some is sort of all this tv show yeah who knows that'd be great yeah that'd be fantastic um but yeah i'm i'm probably less excited about this than i should be or would like to be but we'll see yeah yeah we'll see do we know when this dc universe thing is launching i don't think so i think Um, titans is supposed to be this year but there's no there's no date yet so yeah i i'm sure it the service will be out by the end of the year i'm sure um yeah, we'll launch in 2018 is what the press release says, but it doesn't say when. Okay. All right. Um, the act- go- oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. The one- I just noticed this now. The actor that's playing Robot Man, apparently, mm-hmm. lo- looks exactly like you would want Cliff Steele to look outside of being Robot Man. <laughs> like if you look at him, he's like, yep, that- he looks like uh, comic book Cliff Steele character i'll have to look it up yeah uh, they're not gonna just like show it to me no of course I'll, I'll look it up later i'll take your word for it though yeah um it's so much harder to have dead air without brian here <laughs> <laughs> to like carry us oh i thought you meant he's a he's a bag of dead air oh man that guy no 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 <laughs> Uh, no, I didn't mean it like that. I love you, Brian. Um, I did mean one more, one, <laughs> one more, uh, DC universe bit of news. Uh, the outsiders team for the young justice season three, um, television show, which is also subtitled outsiders was revealed and it's a pretty cool team, pretty standard, um, outsiders, um, lineup i think with a few interesting additions um we've got nightwing who is a um holdover from the original young justice team um who kind of like graduated in season two and now is i guess leading up the outsiders team but then we've also got geoforce katana metamorpho lightning who i assume is the daughter of black lightning um and then a unknown bug-like alien character. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Have you watched any of Young Justice, Vince? I've yes, I've seen uh, the first season, and I don't think I've seen any of the second. But maybe it gets a little bit hazy. But for sure, I've seen the first season. Okay, we're kind of in the same boat. I've seen all of the first season, and I've watched the first probably two or three episodes of the second season um, a couple of times as I've tried in vain to, to kind of like kick that off, but I've only heard great things. I'm really excited for this, for this new season. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I, I don't remember. I was so long ago that I don't remember how I really feel about young justice season one or, or if my opinion on it would change, you know, if I were to watch it again, but I, I definitely like the idea of these characters in this particular 
configuration and sort of age range, you know? Yeah. I um I specifically remember because this was coming out probably I think Young Justice was coming out pretty close to the um time of the New Fifty Two. Let me fact check that. Um Okay, so it had debuted in November of 2010, so right before the New 52 happened. Um, and it, like, was such a great filler for that time because it kept all of the, like, legacy aspects of the DCU. Um, yeah, I still remember season one extremely fondly. And then the the things that happened, the, like kind of status quo of season two is really really good um just in terms of kind of the things they do yeah it's it's actually very good like i i don't this is tough but i think i think at least from a storytelling standpoint it's better than the the timbers wow that's wow that's that's big just just in terms of its ability to tell like a long like a serialized story yeah yeah that's i could see that um but yeah um uh, what else do we have um uh, i forget what what is uh what does dc universe mean Oh, that's just the that's the name of the that that was oh, okay. a remind that was a reminder for me to ask what whether we knew when that was launching. Okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Oh, but one thing I did think of in regard to the DC universe that I don't think we had mentioned before when we were talking before the show, um, all DC universe titles going up to three ninety nine. Oh yeah, yep. Um, I think it's a bummer, but. I also think that's just the way comics are now. And I think, yeah. and that's across the board. I mean, you buy anything from uh, IDW or Boom, you're probably paying $3.99. And I know that those those companies have like a different situation, financial situation and all that, but it's just, it's just where the line is now. And holding the line for as long as DC did was great, but... I think we all knew this was eventually coming yeah yeah um it, it just does hurt a little bit with the double shipping but i guess marvel does it so what are yeah. you gonna do yeah and i think they are double shipping less they right? definitely are um i don't know if they announced like i wouldn't be surprised if maybe some of the books like flash and wonder woman go to monthly i don't think they announced that though mm. no so we'll see um Harvey Birdman is back. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to mention that real quick because you know that technically, due to uh, the Future Quest stuff, Birdman is a DC three related property, and so he's he's, he's canon. <laughs> yep. And I guess I guess this is about you know of course as everything is these days, this is about uh, megalomaniacal billionaire president Phil Ken Seven. Uh, he's the president now. The guy who says Birdman, get in here. Uh, so I just want to say, ha ha, go Fifi. Do you, do you think he's one of the jokers? Whoa, <laughs> now you're, I think I'm looking at this picture of Phil Ken Seven and, uh, and Harvey Birdman and Peter Potamus. 
And I think those are the three jokers right there. Oh, no. Well, you've unlocked it. Okay. <laughs> They're all in Harvey Birdman. That's the, the, when they said Jeff Johns is handling that, he's actually writing an episode of Harvey Birdman. It's going to be cross-promotional with Adult Swim. And that's where we're going to find it all out. I mean, he did do that. Uh, that um, what? Oh, gosh. What was, uh, Robot Chicken episode. You know, uh, yeah, that's true. so he's already got the Adult Swim connection. That's true. I could see it. I think we got it. We did. All right, we unlocked it. Yeah. Rebirth has been unlocked. <laughs> Bring on the Hickman. <laughs> if only. If only. If only. If only. If only Doomsday um... Clock didn't ruin that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Here's a bit of hearsay that we might get into later, but um, Uncle Rich, our own Uncle Rich, reporting uh, based off of an Amazon leak that Batwoman may be ending with issue 18. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, that yeah, that tends to be the way these things go, right? I... That book, yeah. that book just feels like it's been. I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong, but it really feels like it's been editorially screwed for part, you know, half of its run, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. But what are you gonna do? We'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to the this week's issue. Um. Lastly, more sad news. I I didn't mean to bookend our news with sad news. Um. <laughs> But it um, was um, made known today that uh, Margot Kidder, the delightful, wonderful Lois Lane of the um, Christopher Reeve era Superman films, um, has passed away at the age of 69. And out of respect, we will not say it's it's not the sex number when it's the age you die. It's not. We'll just say that not bad <laughs> yeah um, um but i i mean for me she's she's lois lane right like yeah when you she think, really is yeah um and i know Dry, brian feels the same way um as he yeah. said in his memoriam article on multiversitycomics.com um yeah. yeah so so take some time this weekend watch superman or superman 2 um and and just enjoy enjoy the best live action lois lane that we've ever had you've got me who's got you classic like, classic lois lane line. classic classic i like pink very much lois <laughs> <laughs> that's what he's trying to peep through her undies with his x-ray vision oh my goodness stupid horny superman <laughs> all right well um anything else we missed we got we got some books to talk about yeah let's talk about these these dang books is this where we put a break in or right, should we put a break here i think we should and then yeah. we do another break right yeah because this is probably where brian puts in uh you know Hi, I'm Emily, and I'm Walt, and I'm I. Who's the other? Uh, it's the... me. It me. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. It's the good boy Zach. 
Okay, Brian, put one of the commercials that I'm in right here where I'm talking. Um, <laughs> and then or, the other one that Zach's in in the other spot when we take a break later. Which is this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, well, hey, you, you can never get too much uh, promotion of your own show. Put one uh, of those nice Paul Lye ones in here. That's a yeah, good commercial. He's got a soothing voice. He really does. It's it's a good one. Uh, and then let's do a third break where you put in a Mac Weldon ad. I'll do an <laughs> ad for Mac Weldon, even though they don't sponsor us. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. All right, we're back. And uh, Vince, are we going to go in alphabetical order today? Well, you know, normally if Brian were on the show because he makes such a big stink out of this, um, we would go in alphabetical order. I guess he's got some problem where he just can't handle not going in alphabetical order I, it's must be some weird uh tick or something that he has but because he's not on the show we can do whatever we want right and because i don't care about what order we go in at all i don't know that why anyone would ever suggest that i care we're gonna do a little bit different order today we're gonna start from the middle and we're gonna go to the end and we're gonna circle back around <laughs> time is a flat circle as it were <laughs> as it were and so are comics so are comics hey vince what's a what's a dirty computer i think well i'm being told that that's uh the new janelle monet album but I, I just thought it was when somebody takes a blacklight to brian salvatore's laptop <laughs> god damn it All right, no justice. Justice League, oh. no justice, number two. Oh, written by Scott Snyder, Joshua Williamson. I said that weird. Joshua Williamson, James Tiny the Fourth, illustrated by Francis Manipal and Marcus Toe. Yeah, can we talk about that right up front? Because um, one of my big takeaways from this issue is how ni- like it's not seamless but how nicely Francis Manipal and Marcus Toe's art works together. It really, it really is nice. And you say it's not seamless, but I honestly had trouble noticing when one stopped and one ended. Um, partially that was just because I was just genuinely enjoying the story. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I, I probably could tell if pressed, but well, I think it that's was close enough that it didn't matter. That's just it. I think like, cause I read the issue twice and the first time reading, I wasn't paying attention to where I thought one or the other was. And I, 
like just reading it through the first time, it didn't even occur to me that it happened. But then if you, when I went back and I was like, they're both in here. Can I tell? Then you can kind of tell, um, especially if you compare it to last week's issue. But, but I think it works together so nicely. Um, I'm sure if you went, if you went back and somebody asked you to point out which pages were which, you could figure it out. But man, it's, it works really well. It, this was a really well thought out art duo for this. Um, and I think I think it's all really pretty still. I'm uh, I'm I'm really digging the art on this. Lots of good double page spreads. Um, yeah, yeah, kind of a theme this week in a lot of the books, but this book especially had the most, I think. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, this was. This was everything I wanted issue one to be, so um, I I greatly enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call on. This could have been issue one uh, if the zero issue were more like last. Excuse me, last week's issue. This would have been like a perfect, not zero, but the the DC Nation zero. You know what right, I mean? Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, this would have been a perfect first issue because I think you pretty much got everything you needed. And I loved, I loved the way that these teams are like feeling one another out. Um, my favorite moment in the issue, other than maybe the last page was the, uh, surprise, uh, like father, (laughs) father, son bond that Lobo and Beast Boy have. That was that was yeah. My I you know I actually didn't even think about that, but it is interesting. Um, That's what this shakeup is all about, I think. Like finding these these neat little, you know, like Lobo's gonna take Beast Boy under his wing and turn him loose, turn him into a real bastitch, as it were. Oh man, what if he what, kid Lobo? <laughs> Stupid sexy Lobo. <laughs> My my two Lobo dads, <laughs> two and a half Lobos done. <laughs> oh, there it is. There it is. That's the joke. There it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That that was fun. Um, I think I think Snyder's Snyder and company are doing a really good job of you know we kind of hemmed and hawed about the whole like well this is just no, another snidery like there's four elements that they need to reckon with somehow you know and it's you know it's an infinity stones type thing right it's they're chasing around these different elements that are specifically tailored to certain teams or whatever but oh, i think do you know about the infinity stones wins <laughs> i've I've heard tell of them. I've I've heard uh, uh, the Mad Titan Thanos may be collecting those. Interesting. Hmm. Tell me more. (laughs) I don't know much more than that. Um, But uh, uh, I think I think the key. I think Snyder keeps getting better at this. Um, I think Metal was great. We loved how fun Metal was, but there were times where it got a little bit bogged down in lore, I think. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Snyder and company here are doing a great job of like skimming the surface of the lore, but there's not some, uh, 
omniscient character that's explaining all of it to you. They're kind of learning it on the fly, just as we are. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helps sell some of the wonky like lore that you just kind of have to deal with with superhero comics sometimes. Yeah. Well, and I and I almost think that here he's almost maybe it's just the the brevity of the series, but he's less concerned with. Um delving really deep into any lore it's kind of just you know there are these four giant celestial things and they're coming to harvest these four things and that's about all you need to know right now yeah and they don't they don't the heroes don't have time to dwell on it too much you know exactly yeah they're doing a really great job of uh moving this along at a at a nice pace Let's talk about that last page, Zach. Let's let's do it because we've danced around it, and then I have a funny little anecdote to give about that. Oh, I love it. Okay, go go for it. Why don't you just take the lead okay. on this? Well, it's really funny. Um, obviously, we are reading this a couple days before it comes out for for review and recording purposes, and I was tooling around on the DC Comics Reddit, and someone made a post about how. Um, everyone wants Jonathan Hickman to write a Legion of Superheroes book, but this individual thinks that Hickman would be suited for a better, uh, a, a different sort of Legion. Um, and it is the, the Legion he refers to is the one led by real, real docs. Um, and then lo and behold, who would appear at the end of no justice <laughs> issue number two, but Brainiac 2.0 himself. Oh uh, man, I would kill for a L dot E dot G dot I dot O dot N reboot. <laughs> it'd be pretty nice, right? Um, we haven't really seen this character do anything, I don't think, since that uh, Tony Bedard Rebels series pre Flashpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, which I've never read, but I've heard, uh, by all accounts, was really, really good. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I was, I was, that was, that was the era of uh, DC Comics where I bet I was pulling damn near every book. Yeah, like buying every book at every Wednesday at the store. Um, that was a golden, golden age. Golden age. Um. <laughs> This is a cool reveal, and I don't know how we didn't predict it, considering how Brainiac-centric this. Uh, yeah, like with we him, knew this book was gonna be with him basically dying too in the last issue. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of silly, but uh, but I'm happy with where it's going. I'm I'm glad they did it. Um, I love the ending. How he's like. Brainiac's plan required him in every step. You're doomed, you know? Mm-hmm. And basically, if he slips into that role, oh, man. What a what a fun turn of events. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's what's going to happen. And, um, you know, what a just, like, great cliffhanger to end on. It kind of, you know, it makes me wonder with this series being a, as, short if it, as short as it is, if each issue will have this, like, really punchy fun ending like this i'm i i'm getting even more excited for this book um yeah this was good uh and and you know i think um snyder was making the rounds this week doing interviews and things for uh for justice league and pretty much confirmed i think that there's a fourth 
team that they haven't announced yet, which um, I know we've talked a little bit about maybe the Justice Foundation being a thing. Um, but what if uh, what if it's Brainiac involved? Oh, that would be wild. That would I, be great. It'd be pretty cool. I mean, I guess I could see him playing a part in um, in Odyssey, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you know, he could even be in the Justice Foundation, considering what he what, could. Yeah. Considering what um, the mission statement of that is supposed to be, uh, considering right. the last issue of JLA, that's pretty fitting for him, I think. Mm-hmm. And and if Steve Orlando is writing that book. I could see him getting – I always pronounce it Viral Docs, even though that's probably not the right way, but it's just easier to say than Vril, you know? Mm. Uh, Too much like Drill. Oh, what if what if Drill is Brainiac <laughs> 6.0 or something? Oh, man. <laughs> From the future back to give us the best online content gotta be i'm gonna start i'm gonna call i'm gonna refer to brainiac 2.0 as drill docs from now okay on. Um, or drill box oh there you go there you know you la- last year somebody doxed drill so it's oh, kind of unfortunate um, you're right yeah uh but yeah so i you know i could see orlando getting a really nice handle on 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 brainiac 2's voice um, yeah he writes those type of characters pretty well kind of the cocky geniuses um yeah yeah this is all very exciting I, comics are good again if if just for a moment if only for a moment they were actually very good this week except for a few very very bad points but um we'll get to that later yeah yeah um yeah anything else about no justice no it's it's great i'm i'm really thrilled with it all right, all right. Well, next we have the other big Snyder joint this week. Um, New Challengers, number one, written um, by Scott Snyder and Aaron Gillespie, or Gillespie, how would you say that? I would say Gillespie. Gillespie, okay. And illustrated by, oh, is this at Andy Kubert? Yes, illustrated <laughs> by Andy Kubert. That's always tough. I always... I can generally tell just by looking at it, but sometimes I get confused which keyword I'm reading. Um, <laughs> Vince, you were really excited for this last week. Yeah. I think it mostly uh, paid off on my excitement. Yeah? Yeah. I, I, I get the sense that you're going to dissent on that. Um, <laughs> what gives you that sense? <laughs> <laughs> Because you sounded like uh, someone was talking about Anhog when you said, uh, yeah, her, <laughs> this, this book. <laughs> no, I, I, the, I came around by the, I, halfway through, I was like, ooh, this is too many words. It just feels like, it, it feels and looks like every other um, New Age of Heroes books. But when the twist happened and one of the people on the cover of the comic gets fucking evaporated <laughs> at one point that does happen it does yeah that kind of sold me on it i was like oh this is okay all right this is you know this might be a punchy little six issue mini um if you know something like that if a surprise like that happens in every issue 
I might kind of dig this. I'm a fan of the Challengers. I've talked about them on the show before. I'm a fan of theirs going back to Kirby. Like I've read all that stuff and that's just something about them is like throwbacky, but in a way that I, I really think like, I think that in some way they should always have a background role in the DCU, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think this mostly paid off on it. Like it is a little wordy and the arts, the arts a little cluttered. Like I wish there was more room to breathe in some of these pages. Um, but, but yeah, I really like the, the fact the team that's put together and then they evaporate the one guy and he gets replaced immediately. Then they go like to the ends of the world and fight a big crab. And the professor behind the whole thing, you know, is probably a sinister dude that probably going to end up being a villain turn there. I I just kind of dig it in this like really pulpy throwback way. So that's your cue for telling me why it's actually bad. Okay, well, no, I'm not going to tell you why it's bad. I am going to say that when that same thing happened, the whole vaporization thing, and also as the premise was kind of being unfurled, I thought, oh, what is this, some kind of Suicide Squad? Um, (laughs) It's a a dead Suicide Squad. Yeah, that guy's not coming back. Spooky, spooky Suicide Squad. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I thought I thought that part was a little weird just in that this is just some random no name that I have no context for and he's biting it and here's some other random no name that I will now get to know. Yeah. Um <laughs> but I but I kind I kind of like that they make him kind of like a dickhead and then, Oh yeah. And he then is. he gets he's a straight up Amanda Waller. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. He's a, he's a spiral agent too. I don't know if you Oh, you meant that one. I thought you meant the prof. Oh, no, 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 no. I was talking about the guy who got who got zapped. Got, he got vaped. Yeah. <laughs> Smoked like some lound. Um, <laughs> yeah, he uh, – yeah, they played him off as kind of like a dick, and uh, and then he just gets, like, melted. And it's I just kind of – again, it's kind of like a campy throwback thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is. You're right. You're right. Um, I did really like the art a lot. Um, I generally, I like Andy Kubert a lot. Yeah, uh, I do too. I do too. I just, you know what I mean by it being a little cluttered? Like there's a yeah, lot of, a lot of panels so. on some of these pages that I think, I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, I, but yeah, I can see some of the, like, um, like there's a nine panel grid that's a little cluttered and there's a lot of words on some of them, but then you have pages like the, um, the edge of the world page yeah that's really good um pretty the giant crab thing um yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in here um the fact that this is only six issues i think maybe piques my interest a little bit more because i know i'll be getting we'll be getting a you know semi-complete story and a relatively short amount of time so um yeah i think i think this is cool yeah i kind of feels like i sold you on it in some way (laughs) well i think i i probably made it sound like i was more down on it than i actually was um, only so that i could bring out the whole suicide squad angle because yeah. I, that really was like my legitimate first thought what do you think about this uh this hush guy at the beginning with 
mutinize. Well, it feels to me like that's the professor. You think so? Well, just because he ends up with that um, fragment of the relic of or the whatever bone. at the end. Yeah, see, I wondered if maybe there were more than one of those fragments. Like, if uh, those are the bones, maybe, of this giant guy in the back or or someone like him. Sure. Oh, yeah, I don't know. There's a, there's a good bit of mystery here that I appreciate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's like a great book. It's not like ex- super exciting or anything. But if you if you come at it in sort of like a campy old school pulp way, I think it's it, it's really locked into that feel in in a way that I like. Mm-hmm. And so I, on that level, I like it. Like, I don't, it's not like knocking my socks off or anything, but. No, no, but I, I mean, it's definitely up there in terms of um, New Age of Heroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I would still probably have it behind Sideways, and I'm, I'll say, even though the last issue was bad, uh, the Terrifics. Interesting. Yeah, I know I you. I don't know what my new age of heroes lineup looks like right now. You know, it's almost not even worth <laughs> trying, right. to, trying to do it. You know, it's not worth it. It's all going to be over soon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anything else on new challengers? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, oh wait, well, I do have. I do have one. Sorry, I'm sorry. I should have had this ready, but. There is one. Did you notice the Easter egg about who's in the like old school challengers? There's like a page where they talk about all the people who have served as challengers. No. Did you notice? I I think I'm just projecting here, but they look an awful lot like them, and it would make sense considering Kubert was drawing. Um, but in the crowd shot, and I'm trying to get a page number for you. Is it the one on 16 in the PDF? 16, yep. Uh, towards the left side, there's Azarello, And on the very right, there's a guy in a fedora that I have to think is Frank Miller. Interesting. It just makes me think that because of Dark Knight 3, you know? Yeah, I can see it. Um, <laughs> I, I could be projecting. I, I actually thought that that guy with the beard kind of looked like Jason Aaron. Oh, well... There's a lot of bearded men in comics. There are. There are. Um, interesting. I wouldn't, you know, I could see that. I could see that happening. Yeah. I'm, pro- I'm probably just make, pulling that out of my ass, but. Wow. Anyway. So, <laughs> um, so we've, we've got another book. So this book, uh, New Challenges, you know, felt very um, of a, of a certain era of a certain time i feel like the challengers are just very evocative anytime the challengers come up i think of um um why can't i man i'm blanking the um the darwin cook dc frontier new frontier yeah new frontier and so we have another book that is even more so directly related to that um superman special number one (laughs) Um, with uh, three stories, you know, in the vein of the the action comic one special that we that we talked about, uh, was that last week or we before recently? I think, was, I think it was a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got a main story from the current creative team, and then two um, kind of 
you know, one-off anthology stories. So first up, we have um, the main story written by Tomasi and Gleason, illustrated by Scott Godlewski, um, kind of returning to the, the Dinosaur Island um, plot thread from earlier in the series, back when it was really good, and um, capping that off. Vince, what do you think of this? This was a reminder of like two of my least favorite Gleason and Tomasi uh, arcs. The um, uh-huh. I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> yeah, the the like the like uber patriotic couple issues uh, that I believe Godlewski also drew, and the um, what's his name, Black. Uh, Manchester Black. Manchester Black, yeah. Um, so I wasn't like thrilled by this. There were there were moments, but there was also a lot of like, uh, oh yeah, John, I like to think of us as soldiers too, you know, <laughs> this kind of stuff. That like, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. <laughs> There's also. <laughs> I mostly just have jokes about the the story more than anything. Like, there's two full pages where both John and Superman just kind of stare at this wooden leg and go, "We've got unfinished business to do." And they just like waste two whole pages, like just talking about the about the leg. You know, <laughs> I thought that that was kind of funny. And uh, and also, I think it's funny that Storm would come back to the 21st century and he. There's a quote where he says, "So much has changed." Thankfully, some things haven't. And I just imagine him, like, being super on the mega Make America Great Again train. Like, I see David Duke is still around. I'm glad that hasn't changed, you know. Just awful. Oh, my gosh. You're right. Ugh. Wow. <laughs> I'm projecting you know, there. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, that is kind of funny, though. Um. It, it's interesting how kind of the same, like similar to Action Comics special, this was maybe uh, less of an adequate ending than the than the actual last issue of of the run. You know, mm-hmm. um, thinking about that issue, I think it was number forty five that we got last month that kind of capped off this run really really well by returning to the Hamilton Fair. Yeah. Yes. Um, that felt like a better capper than this. Yes. Um, I think that was the more beloved aspect of their run too. You know, it just in general, I, not everybody's going to share that opinion, but right. Did you, did you feel like this issue ended on kind of a weird note or not the issue, but the story? Um, well, I think that was like a fourth wall breaking, like, Gleason and Tomasi are saying goodnight, but it was kind of, well, yeah, it was kind of weird the way they did I, it, right? I thought, I was like more confused by the the little plot beat about the note, like him, like Lois not finding the note and then him finding it. And oh, it's like, what's the point of leaving the note other than he didn't want Lois to lose an arm or something? <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I'd, over my head. That uh, uh, the panel of him closing the door though—that's a call. Isn't that a callback to like? So Midnighter did that in in the last issue of Apollo and Midnighter. Uh huh. They had the 
him closing the door on us, you know? But I, that was a callback to some other... I'm pretty sure that's a callback to um, whatever happened to the Man of... Ah, uh, that's right. Yep, I'm yep. almost positive. Yep, and so they, they're kind of calling back on that again, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so... Eh, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, it wasn't bad. It was just... It just kind of harkened back to yeah. a time, a time of certain arcs that I wasn't as fond of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what did you think about this next story that was written by someone you really like and illustrated by someone you don't? <laughs> um. It was okay, but I I usually expect more from. Uh, from Mark Russell, and I thought that this was not phoned in, but just just a little simple, a little overly simple, um, kind of under undercooked even. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> sorry, had to. Um, you know, it's just kind of like a Superman's saving the town from this uh, Atlantean sea bug, and he ends up saving this guy saving this guy from a building and he ends up saving a dog, but he can't save the photos that this guy wants. He's like an elderly guy and he's losing his memories. And Superman says something about, you know, the memories never truly leave you, but we, we know that that's not true, right? Like this man is clearly unwell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Superman's it had just a lying. weird message. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, it was, yeah. I don't know. Also, he's like rolling. He punches this bug to get it to roll up into a ball, and then he's rolling it down the street. And I just imagine him like not being able to see around the giant bug, and he's just crushing, crushing everyone. Yeah, he's <laughs> not warning people in advance and not able to see, and just crushing taxi drivers and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, yeah, it felt like a weirdly. Um aloof spider uh not spider-man gosh superman it reminded me of like grounded superman yeah you know just like oh i'm gonna just uh roll this bug up into a ball oh you uh need your photograph saved this dog is more important um (laughs) seems something like very much in line with the way some of the goofy goofier things from grounded (laughs) yeah that's right although i mean like you know as bad as i felt for that old man I'm glad he saved the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Would have been sad. Yep, I agree. Um, then, uh, oh, also, it was Brian Hitch. We didn't mention it. It was Brian Hitch. <laughs> um, yeah. I actually liked the art in this one, but I, I think I like Hitch more than you. So. Yeah. Um, lastly, we have an Atomic Skull story written by Ian Flynn and illustrated by... Uh, Care is it care or care? I I always and, thought it was care. Care, okay. Um and this one was really surprising to me. I did not expect this. And um the the atomic skull as a as a kind of reformed criminal working with the police status quo from Superwoman is is not something I expected to be carried on 
Yeah. Past that book. Um, this was really nice. I really liked this. Yeah. From the art, I mean, it's... So, Kari Andrews' art is kind of evolving, I think. Like, in in this... I don't know if it's the... It might be the coloring, which, which Andrews also did in this. But I got some... I... This may be this may be crazy, but I got some uh, Mike Allred vibes, like Mike Allred, but but in the face very much Kari Andrews, you know. Uh-huh. But that like that like really clean line, very defined cartoony characters, gave me a real Allred vibe that I wasn't expecting that I really love. I'm a huge all red guy, and this art really did it for me. Um, what, what what about you? Um, I I didn't as much get that vibe, um, although I can appreciate it. Um, this does remind me of something. Honestly, you know what it kind of reminds me more of? Uh, Tim Sale. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. Um, especially with some of the the way he he draws and positions Superman and a lot of the panels. Um, I get that vibe, especially, but either way, I mean, this is a really great story, a little short little story. And it um, does great work with atomic skull. And, and I, I think we saw him pop up again recently at the end of an issue because I made fun of how he looked like cosmic ghost rider. It was yeah. Hal Jordan in their green lantern core. That's right. Yeah. Um, I I hope that we get more of this. Well, and it sounds like we will somehow, right? Like, I, it's not going to be part of... This isn't something they're setting up for Bendis, is it? I mean, it does say not the end. I don't know. that. What if this is um, an aspect of, like, the Action Comics book? I think that'd be great. I, I'd be surprised that something that Bendis is doing gets set up here, but, but I think that would be awesome. Um... I also think that it would be great if DC Comics got Ian Flynn to do some more work, you know? Yeah. How much Flynn have you read? Like, did you have you read any of the Sonic stuff? No, no. Okay, so that's why I knew I recognized the name, but I couldn't place it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he... okay, all of the, like, Sonic and Mega Man stuff. Yeah. Yep. yep. And I, I think he's a really... I think he's a really great writer. I think he works really well in con in uh, concert with his artist, and I think he's just great at embracing like the simple good versus evil type dynamic. Because like, let's be honest, the Sonic stuff and there may be a lot of Sonic lore, but it's not exactly deep, and Mega Man is not exactly deep. But those mm-hmm. comics are a uh, shit uh, ton of fun. Shadow the Hedgehog. <laughs> would have words with you sir <laughs> too deep for me right <laughs> too deep um yeah uh man yeah i dug this i hope there's more i hope there's more ian flynn at dc and i want to point out one panel that i really loved and it was when uh uh what's his name shockwave is that shockwave yes yeah, yeah. When he's kind of got like Superman against the ropes and he's like 
help me finish him. And, and Atomic Skull like is trying to decide what he's going to do. And he ends up turning on Shockwave and, you know, staying, staying in this sort of good version of life that he's trying to live. And then Superman that like gives Superman the strength to get up and, and like punch Shockwave across the room. Mm-hmm. That panel of Superman punching him with the giant pow lettering behind him is so good. That's like yeah. classic comic shit right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Oh, and with the trunks too, you know? Yep. It's just not him without the trunks. <sighs> it's not him without the trunks. Yeah, this is great. More of this, please. Um, More, more villains doing cool non-villainy things mm-hmm. um we need more vegetas in the world <laughs> that's right yeah um, that's that good call yeah yeah um, oh man okay um what's up next uh, i think well oh man now we get into the the nitty-gritty of what yeah, would you what would you put next in in our alphabetical order? Well, I've got Brave and the Bold next. Okay, that's what I have next too, but you know, do you go by the T? Are you going by the B? Brian would have the answer, but Well, you know, alas, I'm... we are we're we a couple of buffoons. Um, <laughs> I'm really easy going about the order. I don't know how this rumor started. It's Brian who's the uptight one. <laughs> uh we can talk about uh the Brave and the Bold. Um written and illustrated by Liam Sharp. And uh, I'm going to be honest. Once again, I did not read this. I did look at the pretty pictures and enjoyed them greatly. (laughs) Yeah, that's... I read all the words, but I'm not sure that I put all the mental uh, focus and aptitude that it would take to keep everybody straight. Like, there's there's warring factions in this, like, Gaelic... uh, sort of town well what is it Tirnanog? is that right yeah 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 there, there are these like warring factions that are feuding with one another and like i don't i'm not really sure i've got everybody straight because i'm only sort of paying attention to the turns of events you know um but man is it a pretty comic there's there's two or three pages where uh they're looking at the characters in the comic are looking at paintings and going over history and those paintings are some of the most beautiful things that i've ever seen i'm assuming liam sharp did them because there's no other name in the art as far as like the penciling or anything mm-hmm. um and no man, yeah i think that they're i think they're him yeah and they are just spectacular um yeah. he's he's immensely talented and if if the rumors are true and and he the green the Morrison Grant the the Grant Morrison Green Lantern book is real and and Sharp is on it then, um, I think I'm sold after this issue. I will be a happy, happy camper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have much more to say about it than that because uh, it's just, it's just too like we read too many comics for me to hunker down and like uh yeah <laughs> fully process all these words 
And this that's... is a dense book, or at least that is the impression that I get. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you uh... go. <laughs> Brian will like that. Oh, man. Uh, a true story. I think my um, first touchstone for that song, I'm sure I had maybe heard it before, but when I think of that song now, I think of the... Um the Digimon movie because that song plays right before the uh like at the end of the movie. I think maybe before the credits roll. So there you go. Nice. Yeah, that's my cultural touchstone for Mighty Mighty Boston's uh <laughs> Digimon. Um <laughs> Imagine the Digimon theme as a like a third wave ska song. <laughs> I'm imagining it. It's pretty good. Oh man. Vince, the Wildstorm is back. Oh, the Wildstorm is back, and Zach, it is so good again. It's really, really good. Um, as always, uh, written by Warren Ellis, illustrated by John Davis Hunt, and um, a nice uh, Francisco Francavilla variant this week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I admit it's been a while since we've had one of these issues, but, and I, I was a little nervous that I'd be uh, kind of lost picking it back up, but I felt like I got right back into it. Yeah. Ellis does such a good job of always explaining like who everybody is, what faction they're, this, you know, this is almost like uh, the Tirna Nog stuff, except it's so streamlined that it's impossible to forget who's on which side, you know? Like, it's so that you never forget. They're always reminding you where everybody stands. And they almost throw, like, a third faction in with this John Lynch stuff. Even yeah. Though, even though technically he was part of IO at one point. Like, now he's splintered off. Well, really, we have, like, four factions now. Sh- yeah, sure. Yep. Because yep. we, have, we have IO and... And Skywatch. I had to check myself not to say Stormwatch. And then we've got, um, like, Cole Cash and um, the Engineer, their crew. Yeah, the Wildcats. Wait, but no, they're part they're, of... They're part they're of... They're part of IO. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So you're right. It is three. Okay, never mind. Yeah. Um, I, no. thought you were, I thought you were going to no, say... No, they're like... Halo. <laughs> Wait there a minute. Is Because well, they're I... part of Jacob Marlowe's group. Uh... Yes, remember, that's... yes that's right. Escaping from IO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Ha, I just undid everything I said about like how easy this all is to follow. Fair enough. No, it's, it's a little tricky, but... It is. I think it's easy to follow. It's just that if you ask me to like recall everything on a podcast... Uh-huh without like it all in front of me then it's like you know then it's yeah yeah you're more liable to make a mistake but while you're reading it you can't you don't forget where everybody stands yeah it is really easy to follow um this issue sees the return of a major wildstorm staple um with the the um martian-esque uh karen aliens yeah the carubium or whatever they're called yeah yeah um 
That was interesting. Yeah, yeah, that was a so yeah, so so John Lynch like essentially caused that to happen. And now he's going around giving everybody warning that that they're going to be on the radar and uh basically almost gets his ass kicked for it rightfully so yeah yeah um, and yeah that was really interesting i love the design of that farm that he goes to that uh mark slayton is that right that sounds right yeah yeah who was um uh in the old Wildstorm? he was backlash ah oh, makes sense with the his his powers here Yep, Team Seven and Stormwatch and uh, nice, uh, nice I, catch. Yeah, I love the design of the farm and and like the just the the kind of the creepiness when Lynch walks up at first and there's all those arrows pointed in that one direction. That's very right. like it that is was... <laughs> creepy. Um, yeah, it's very yeah, like it... Twin Peaks or something. Oh, and then we actually find out what those are. Yeah to some degree which is even creepier they're like soul signals Mm -hmm. broadcasting what he calls them uh they're like gray some kind of grave um they have a really launch pad graves launch pad graves yes um yeah such a weird idea he's he's like killing people and broadcasting their souls into space um This yep. book's pretty cool. It is cool. It's really good. And uh, I continue to enjoy the little Easter eggs that they are putting in here. Um, the Challengers of the Unknown TV series that's on TV when he shows up to the um, farm. Mm-hmm. And uh, towards the end, there you see uh, Voodoo's Grammy on the bedside there and if you look at the bottle of pills it says sleeper which was uh, wasn't, wasn't sleeper wildstorm the old it was Ed, yeah Ed Brubaker, right mm-hmm. yeah good call so, good call I, I love the little little easter eggs um this is pretty much um i guess this is this must be what's happening to um michael cray yes mm, yeah yep yeah, good call. Um, just with the voices and the powers and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is still really good. Um, you know, we're in the halfway, we're past the halfway point now. Yeah, yeah. Um, still don't have any more news on more books, but what are you going to do? Maybe I, San Diego. Yeah, I think it's coming. This isn't, I don't think this is in danger of being canceled or shortened. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure when you get Warren Ellis to do something like this, it's on him whether it gets to the end or not, you know? Especially when you especially when you promise up front like look, it's going to be exactly this many issues, you know? There's kind of no wiggle room here. Yeah, I I'm not so much worried about this book getting canceled early as maybe they dial back how many spin-offs and things that there are. Um, oh, I just based that. on maybe like, oh, he had a new idea or he decided he didn't want to do that many books or yeah, any myriad of things, but maybe we'll get something. Yeah, maybe. 
We'll see. Um, all right. Do we uh, do we want to take a break or circle round back round back to the beginning? Yeah, let's take it. Let's take a break here. This is where Brian can put in the next ad, whatever he wants. You know, a, a nice golden golden Paul Live voice, perhaps. Robots from tomorrow, even even. Hi, I'm Paul, the host of the Comic Syllabus Podcast, a weekly show on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. We read widely and we dig deep, bringing different analytical approaches to our study and appreciation of the wide variety of comics out there. Along with comics teachers, critics, and creators, we do close readings of classic and current exemplars of the medium, and we invite you to join us every Tuesday here at MultiversityComics.com. So let's dig deep. And we're back uh, to talk about Aquaman number 36, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by, forgive me, my PDF isn't pulling up and I don't remember his name, uh, it's Federici. Ricard- yeah, Ricardo Federici. All right, all right. Um, still still trucking along. Vince, what do you think? Yeah, I, th- I mean, this is fine. Um Federici's art again is that like more painterly style that transitioned pretty well from Stepion Sayex um, art, and so we got that back again after I think a couple months of somebody else. Um, I I think the story just continues to be. We say this every time, but it's really it's really true. It's just going along on this very. Uh, consistent kind of one-track story uh, where um, the Aquaman is trying to infiltrate uh, Atlantis again where Wrath is the leader now and Merc is helping him and there's a little bit of conflict there. It's, it's all just advancing all the same stuff that we've already been reading and it's really consistent quality. So I think this is still a book that I'm enjoying and everybody should be reading. There's just not much more to say about it. Yeah, same. Um, it's it's still um, it's still really interesting. Um, I think the art is really really good. It's not, she, she, oh man, I used to know how to say it. It's on his Twitter account. Sufian. Is the way that Sufian draws it. Um, it's like it's like music pictures. Um, <laughs> No, I really, I really do enjoy the art, um, and and I continue to enjoy this book a lot. This is another one that I thought ended on a slightly weird point. Um, it's just like, oh, let's go talk to those ghosts again. Yeah. Sorry, we can't help you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, but but you know, otherwise it's really good. I do. Do we have any indication about how long this? Uh, much longer this arc has to go i don't know it's just it's just chugging along i it really I, is i was yeah. thinking about it today you know it's been going since issue 25 so um it's uh it's going yeah this arc might end up being a a, a quarter of a uh asriel <laughs> the time at the time things are said and done right in May. uh it does look like um looking ahead issue 38 in august uh sorry july does seem to be the conclusion to the king wrath saga 
Okay. Um, that's so. a good. That's a good like years worth of stories. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm interested to get more stuff with Dolphin after this arc is finished. Um, she's a really interesting addition to this book and has kind of um, kind of been pushed to the back burner as things have really been getting deep into, you know, kind of overthrowing wrath and everything. But um, I'm, I'm interested to see more of her. Um, yeah, I think so too. I, although I wonder if she'll be somebody that's just like ditched once Abnett's run is over. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I hope, I hope not either. But I also hope they don't do like the a romantic like triangle. Ah, uh, yeah, or I really hope not. I could easily see it going that way, and I, I wish she was just like another character added to the cast that was cool, and you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Arthur Mara stuff. There, there's already been enough drama with that, um, and the whole thing with the new Fifty Two was kind of getting them back together again. So. Right. Right. Um, right. Yeah, uh, fingers crossed. Which you know, again, going back to the rumor mill, if if Kelly Sue was on deck to take this over, I don't really see her returning to that well. Uh, but who knows? We'll see. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, do we have? I think we have your favorite book of the week next. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Zach. Zach, my old friend. Um, Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> I really have nothing good to say about this, so if you want to move on, we can move on. Uh, well, I think we need to... I think we need to talk about... How Booster is bad now and he can never be redeemed? How Booster is just awful. Um... Just like I said last time we talked about this, I really feel like King for some reason wants everybody to hate Booster and regret that he was ever brought back, uh, which is a weird way to take the character. But um, I just don't. Oh my god! When like everybody starts dying at the end, how are you, how do you write that and you think like this is good to me that this ending is this dark? I know, like I know. I know he had to wrap it all up, but like, oh, you have to take you have to take him back to see. It. He has to watch. Booster has to make Bruce watch little Bruce and his parents get murdered. Like, his, watch his parents die, and then shoot himself in the head. Like, well, so well, dark. Also, also so like, dark. it is absurdly dark. But you know, this arc began with booster being amused by a jokerized Hal shoot himself in the head but now he's like somehow scarred because he got blood on his goggles yeah right even though back then he said oh it's it's not real you know the reason that it was cool to watch Hal do that is because it's not real you know right but now all of a sudden it's real see you know what that is that is trying to take what has been a very silly three issues of a comic book with a main character who's like this Deadpool-esque wacko to like suddenly try to add like uh, like some pathos to it. Yeah, 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 exactly. And to like, oh, isn't it so like 
deep and dark because now this goofy character is really affected by what happened. And, uh, it's so transparent that that's what that is. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't land with any depth or pathos. Like you said, um, it feels really false to me. The whole thing feels really false. Um, and, and yeah, just a really sour place to take the booster character after all this time, you know? Mm, yeah. Did you like the part in the beginning where he tells you his entire origin for some reason? No, I didn't like that because <laughs> this, like you said, this is, um, this is booster. This is like Deadpool via booster. Um, and I don't like that. Yeah. Um, we already, I, uh, we are, uh, not to say that you can't have different incarnations or like versions of characters, but of course, um, we don't need booster as Deadpool. We, we already get Harley as Deadpool and uh, yeah, this, this just feels gratuitous. Yeah. Um, I didn't like this. Nope. Let's move on. Okay. Um, next we have Batwoman number 15. Um, written by uh, Marguerite Bennett and illustrated by Fernando Blanco, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a another book that I sort of skimmed but was um, very enamored by the art. Oh, yeah. Those storybook pages are just beautiful. Beautiful, yep. Uh, I felt I felt like that. I felt like that storybook uh, double page spread. Were, were the art not so beautiful to look at? It was pretty unnecessary, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's fine. It was really pretty to look at, and uh, um, yeah. I just I thought it was a weird. It was all, it was, there was no real new information in it, I don't think. No. Um, um, subsequently, though, the next double page spread um, felt very uh, David Aha esque uh-huh. to me. Um, with the, you know, like the smaller highlighting panels, and especially, I mean, that second panel um, with the, the like purple, purple and white. Yeah. Like, like that's I mean that is Hawkeye, yeah, Hawkeye. <laughs> you know yeah. so Hawkeye yeah. if you will Hawkeye um yeah there's a visually there's a lot to like about this book yeah um, yeah there's some like radar stuff going on with the bats even the bats themselves just the way they're kind of clustered and arranged on some of these pages they kind of they kind of guide your eye mm-hmm and I think that's a really neat... I think Blanco's really, really good. Blanco's very good. Um, yeah. I um, I want to like this. But I have trouble getting invested. Um, can you... Do you have much to say about this story? Yeah, a little bit. I, okay. I, I agree with you that it's tough to get into this book. But I think I said last... I think it was the last time we talked about it. That that, that issue was really good. And like you could have just done away with a lot of the stuff that came before and just sprung on with that issue. And I think that this issue continues that. And I think, I think the story is a little bit cold, you know, 
Like I think I think a lot of the emotions and things in the story are dampened a little bit. Um, but I really admire Marguerite Bennett's willingness to. It's not just Blanco's art, but the way that she's conveying information and telling a story. The exposition's not like exposition. It's like there's there's something sort of elusive about it. And if you follow it and understand it all, it's really satisfying. But I could easily see readers who don't have patience and i'm not saying i'm not saying that that's your experience with this but i could see readers that don't have the patience for it like glazing over a lot of it because it's very amorphous in the way like if you think about what the story is all right there's like a plague that's being dropped on gotham through these bats it's a similar thing that's happened a million times before in gotham like the how how often has the joker poisoned the town somehow you know yeah but the way that she tells it is has this like ethereal quality to it that somehow feels a little novel, even though it's the same thing we've seen a bunch before. I don't know. It, this is kind of like New Challengers in that it it doesn't knock me off my feet, but I like it. I think it's I think it's good. Um, it's just not quite there for like a top book that they're publishing. You know, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I get, I, I get all of your criticisms, and I feel the same way about past issues of the book. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. I just think it's in a good place right now for me. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I hope it sticks around. I, I, I loved this book when it started, um, and then have kind of lost interest as I as it you know has kind of become what it is but mm-hmm. um yeah it i i you know i should give it i should give it another chance i admit i admit my failings <laughs> no, that's all right um but yeah um good to move on to cave carson has an interstellar eye sure number three um Written, uh, as always, by, uh, forgive me. John Rivera? Yeah, yeah, and illustrated by Michael Avon Oming. Um, is that George Lucas? I, I couldn't decide whether it was George Lucas, who, who Cave Carson kind of looks like. Uh-huh. Um, or whether it was like a, like a weird old school Stan Lee. Uh-huh. You know? I have in my notes George Lucas, Stanley. Uh, no, I guess that's it. Those were the only two I was trying to decide between. That's weird. But yeah, um, I think it was definitely going for something like that. Given that he's like a storyteller. Yeah, and and I and reading it if you read it as George Lucas and you come around to the kind of like dark side of the prophet pro, uh, prophecy where he's, he's seeking out um you know more powerful crystal crystals for bigger more grander adventures it it rings of the of the oh, prequel geez. trilogy you know yeah oh man zach i think you made me appreciate this more than i did by saying <laughs> that 
Um, I mean, that was honestly about the maybe deepest thing I gleaned from this, other than we, we see Cave's little hog. Cave. <laughs> we see his hog. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we do. Um, it's not bad. It's like tucked in there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, like in his leg. It's like. Yeah, yep. <laughs> it's his third <laughs> leg, as it were. <laughs> Cave Carson has a cybernetic has... wang. <laughs> um, oh man. Um, yeah, this is this is fine. It was fine, but I kind of something really bugged me about the storytelling in this one. And I'll say that I I love the backup. I, I continue to really like the Cave Carson has an educational podcast thing, and I thought that was great with Paul Mayberry on art. Um, it's kind of a, kind of a sad reality story where they like leave a guy behind in a fuel, like a frozen, like a basically freezing him in carbonite. Yeah. Yeah. Promising they'll come back to him later. Another star Wars reference, I guess. Mm -hmm. But the main story here felt very much and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it felt very much like, and then this happened and then this, and then this, and everybody just like. Everybody knows exactly what to do next somehow with like information that's not really given to them. They just kind of, they just know what they're supposed to do next. And it's, and then, and then, and then, and then it's the end, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I really didn't follow the whole like, okay, so this storyteller's here, wants to mine crystals, but like, then he left, but then they're still mining crystals. Like, I don't, I didn't. I don't know. Yeah, I I didn't really follow it either. Um, which has always kind of been my issue with both this volume and the previous volume is that I it was it it was always kind of not necessarily hard to follow, but more um, I don't know how what I'm trying to say here. It's, um, it's this book is very willing to like jump from scene to scene or event to event without explaining it in any way. You yeah. Know? Like there are, there are pages or panels where Cave is like, I know what we need to do next, and then they just do it. But like, there's no, and I it's weird because sometimes in comics I don't mind that, but like when I can't follow the action all that well then I guess I wish there was more being explained. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, this this was not my favorite. Yeah. Um, anything else? you want? Do you want to talk about Kate Carson has a, um educational podcast anymore? Uh, not, not unless you have anything to add. I... No, not, not really, other than... Um, Man, if this had, if this book had just been Cape Carson has an educational podcast and we got six <laughs> issues of that, I think that would have been delightful. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So um, next up on the uh, New Age of Heroes bandwagon, we have Damage number five. I believe this is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Damage number five, uh, written by Robert Venditti, illustrated by Diogenes Neves, um, Vince. Zach. I think I like this. Oh my gosh, really? 
Yeah, I think I did. I think I liked this. Oh, boy. Um, what did just you a like little about bit. It? Okay, okay, so it's a few it's a few small things. I liked the reveal that and maybe they had talked about this before and I just missed it, but that he the 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 thing that turns him into damage is based on the Miraclo Hourman formula. Yeah, yep. Yep. I did like that element. Which is awesome. And then the bit where he's having the flashback and the the other soldier whispers in his ear to like remember the unknown soldier, mm-hmm. which I immediately took like, oh wow, we're gonna tie in like unknown soldier into this, and this is kind of really getting into you know deep into the the DC history weeds here. Um, then they kind of misdirect you to think you know maybe he's actually just referring to the actual you know grave of the unknown soldier. Yeah. Um, which would be less interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sorry. Like... Um, but yeah, just those two things alone kind of gave me a little bit more hope for what this series is and what it could be. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, just those two things got me significantly more invested in this issue. Yeah, I'll agree about the, the Miraclo stuff, but the... Um... The unknown soldier thing really was kind of a tease that I I ended up like if it if it turns out to be the case and they're really gonna get into some uh, like our army at war unknown sort soldier stuff then cool but uh, I really feel like that's um now now it feels like that's a misdirect so we'll see. It, it's regist- it's registering to me as nothing right now because I don't trust this line <laughs> of books. Um, it's weird to see Grodd back when Grodd was just in uh, the Flash in a pretty substantial arc. It um, is weird, yeah. Same same with the Ivy stuff. I guess this stuff was all supposed to take place before, like a certain issue of Batman remember so it must take place before the these issues of the flash but i it just feels like this book is kind of doing whatever it wants with some weird leeway that it doesn't deserve <laughs> yeah which we've already kind of discussed with like the the other appearances from Suicide Squad and and Wonder Woman and yeah yeah this book is just the let's cram as many people as we can in um yeah yeah um but yeah i i you know i i ended up being way more invested in this book than i would have ever expected oh well good i'm glad you feel that way just this issue (laughs) um not not the book in general um yeah so uh, i guess we've we've got two more books and full disclosure i did not read them yeah so um we can we can talk about these um, a little bit, though. We've got Green Lanterns, uh, number 47. I believe this is still a Tim Seeley production. Tim Seeley with art by the great V. Ken Marion. Oh, man, that is that is Zach Bade. Yep, I can't believe you didn't read this. Any. I know. Um, this was kind of weird. Actually, Green Lanterns and Harley Loves Joker share some similar themes i think as far as um so you didn't read this at all like you didn't page through it i didn't even crack it open i'm opening it right now for the first time 
Okay. So basically this is wrapping up that thing where like Jess is confronting her memories, her dark memories from the past um, and kind of overcoming this like link to power ring that she has. And the issue starts off with this really clunky thing where Jess and Simon are charging their rings and it's like, oh, I can't, be- I can't believe we still have to charge our rings together because if you'll remember, and I forgot this until this issue, <laughs> their rings are tied together or the batteries are tied together in such a way or they're tied to the same battery or something. Right, yeah, yeah. They have, they have to charge off the same battery. And this issue introduces that again in an effort to... Uh, then undo it by the end of the issue. And, and like, there's stuff about Jessica rewriting her ring through sheer willpower to sort of overcome these limitations that the Guardians have put on her, you know? And the issue attempts to, like, say, you know, Simon and Jess should be their own characters and they're strong enough to, to operate on their own. The problem is, is that then the issue ends with the twist that, like, the Guardians catch wind of it and they're like, well, we can't have this. And then Hal Jordan's like, you're right. I will be the one to kill her or whatever. Not kill her, but like <laughs> stop her, you know? Yeah, yeah. Which I know it's it's going to be undone. It's just like super dickery at the end of an issue to like trick us into thinking this. And then Hal's like going to secretly make it so that she can operate on her own. You know, it's going to be fine. But like if you're trying to get away from the idea that like Simon and Jess are unstable and not to be trusted, then you end this arc. That's kind of about fixing that with another, like, well, we can't trust her type thing. You know, like it feels like they're never really going to break out of this cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it also sounds like th- this, um, you know, this Jessica rewriting her ring through willpower is just another, um, another step in this continual one-upping that her and Simon seem to have with doing oh, weird things with their rings. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is fine. Um, make things interesting, but yeah, I, I, again, this is just another book that I kind of have very little investment. And in. at this point uh, I'm flipping through it and uh, Marion has some uh, very nice, um, he does a nice David Finch impression on page uh, 18 of the PDF. Hmm. I'll have like to... Especially his Flash and whoever the guy in the t-shirt is. Page 18 of the PDF. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good call. I never I never would have, like, pegged him in that camp, but uh, <laughs> I guess that's who he's evolving into. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i believe that's supposed to be simon in the t-shirt right am i wrong um i don't know uh maybe you're right okay yeah i can see that i don't know yeah yeah maybe that's right i didn't have the context yeah um okay okay so harley loves joker the second and last issue in this very tiny mini series that was weirdly foisted upon us um this issue too tries to reconcile with the fact that when paul dini writes 
Harley Quinn, it's usually in the context of her still being in the old Harlequin costume, still running capers with Joker and still part of this messed up relationship, right? They try to confront that halfway through the issue by... So Harley is kind of acting like in her head as her own therapist during this whole thing. And at one point, the basically like current rebirth sort of Suicide Squad, uh, you know, like pink and blonde and blue color scheme, Harley... Yeah, yeah. Is uh, she like shows up and tries to tell, talk to her about how the Joker is damaged and your relationship is twisted and you need to grow up and do what's good for you and realize that this is you know it's great that he confronts that, but the problem is that then by the end of the issue she's just back with the Joker again, you know, which I think I've said before, like as much as I acknowledge and agree with a lot of the stuff about how bad their relationship is I still do think that there is a way to portray that in sort of the animated series sort of era where it's more it's more just like wacky crime caper fun than it is like twisted and messed up mm-hmm. there's a way to do it it's very specific and, and I, I don't think it should be like overdone but there is an era that you hark back, hearken back to that is fun and if this book is going to try to reconcile with the idea that that's it's not always fun and it's not always been portrayed as fun and and lighthearted and goofy then to by the end to have her just end up back in the joker's clutches as it were it's kind of a little weird you know <laughs> it's it doesn't it doesn't really do any meaningful work to advance that at all by the mm-hmm. end yeah, it definitely sounds problematic. Yeah. Um, I mean, I there... don't. Yeah, I don't want to condemn the whole idea of a, of an old school Harley and Joker story. I just think like you either ignore it and keep it light and goofy, and don't make it into like an abusive thing. Like if the Joker is truly like the clowny cartoonish version, you know, mm-hmm. don't acknowledge it at all. Or you just say, you know what, we're f- we are finally moving past this because it's fucked up, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I having such a fondness for uh, like Batman the animated series and everything, and and Paul Dini's work in general. Um, I would want to like something like this, but again, with you know all the things you mentioned, and you know the weird pseudo sexual positions in the first issue. Um, <laughs> yeah. I keep forgetting about to, that. It's just hard to get behind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's it for the week. That was a light week. It was kind of a light week. Um, yeah. All right. Well, that is all we have. Um, for a light week of books. Vince, uh, what, what have we got coming next week? Uh, let's see. B- uh, Batgirl, Batman Beyond, Detective Comics 981, Flash, Green Lantern Corps, Hellblazer, No Justice Number 3, which I think we're all pumped for, Mera, uh, Mother Panic, uh, Silencer, Suicide Squad, Super Sons, 
Terrifics, and Wonder Woman. That is a packed week, Zach. That is a really stacked week. It's, so that's the end of the Tanyan Detective run. Yep. And the end of Super Sons. Yeah. In one week. Mm. And is it the last? Hope Larson has one more Batgirl after this, right? That's a good question. Okay. I don't know. I kind of thought it was... Um... Cause, what issue is that? Because th- this is the last issue of this arc, but I thought for some reason maybe she got a... I think she has one more. Yeah, like she got a capper issue. Uh, actually, no, she doesn't. No, she doesn't. 23 is the last one. Yeah, Sean Aldridge. What do you know? Oh, oh man. Next week's going to be a downer. Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. Well, interesting. Maybe they will all be very good. <laughs> Zach. Oh, and it's, and it's, well, I'm in of those three, <laughs> the three issues that are ending. Yeah. Um, also, the first issue of Flash War. Yeah, there you go. That's something to really... Oh, man. That's exciting. Yeah. So, okay. So, next week's a pretty exciting week. Penultimate issue of No Justice. Three runs ending. Maybe Terrific will be good again. Is this a Doc Shaner issue? It is. <laughs> it is. Ooh, it oh. is. Okay, okay. All right. I'm 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 pumped for next week. <laughs> All right. Well, as always... Um, you know, thanks for listening. Um, you can you can follow us on the tweeters. I'm at surfox89. I'm at lcd underscore lound system. And he is very good on Twitter. <laughs> and Brian's dead. And Brian doesn't even tweet. Yep. And yeah, rest in peace uh, to the guy from Frightened Rabbit. It was sad that that happened. Oh, he... did he actually? Did they find him? Oh, or... they found him, oh. not not alive. That's sad. I didn't. I I just saw that he was missing. Yeah. Oh, that's gosh. that's a big one for me. I I don't know about you, but oh man. Yeah. To end this on a downer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brian. <laughs> Margot Kidder. Uh, Scott Hutchinson and Brian Salvatore all dying in the same week. This is getting too morbid. Brian, come back safe. (laughs) Bye. Bye. The incredibly novel reason why Henry Cavill needed that mustache?